I appreciate you all coming out in the cold weather. Hope the Lord will warm it up here a little bit. As you may have surmised, Israel made a colossal mess out of their relationship with God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.5 states that God just was not pleased with them. However, some 700 years after that wilderness debacle, the prophet Jeremiah brought Israel some hope. And it's right there in Jeremiah 31, 31, where he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Interesting concept declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So that new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of was completed. And the rest of the world, that is the Gentiles, could be included in this new deal from God. The new and final covenant was much more successful than the old one. In this covenant, the Holy Spirit of God would actually reside within believers and then guide them into all truth. John 16, 13. Well, that's, that's really good. Then everything will be great, right? Well, yes and no. It depends on how a believer responds to the Holy Spirit that is within them and trying to guide them through the tortured waters of human life. In Ephesians 4, we discover that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit within us. And in Thessalonians, it says that we can quench the Holy Spirit. You know, that's like an upgrade. One's putting the candle out, the other's throwing water on it. Unfortunately, the New Testament reveals that the church age has been equally flooded with disinterest, disobedience, and abominations. Take Corinth, please. No, for example, they generally did everything wrong. Bless the Corinthians, because we'd have never had those letters had they done it right. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul challenges them to test themselves, to actually see if they are of the faith. Now, 2 Corinthians was actually Paul's fourth letter to them. Paul had taught them, as you remember, for a year and a half with Priscilla and Aquila at his side. He wrote them a letter from when he went to Ephesus, and that's called the lost letter. 
They responded with questions. And then Paul responded back to them with 1 Corinthians, which is mostly an indictment against them. Timothy goes there and returns to Paul with some disturbing news. Paul then goes back to Corinth, which he calls the painful visit. Then he goes back and he writes them what he called the severe letter. Titus goes there and reports a few positive changes, but now, instead of asking him questions, they attack Paul. They attack his authority, they attack his character, and other stuff. So he responds with 2 Corinthians, which is actually 4 Corinthians. Are you following all that? The Corinthian documents present us with the clearest doctrines of our side of the covenant. Uh, we have a side of the covenant? I thought he did everything. No, actually, we have a side. The deal is, from Jeremiah 31, God says, I will be your God. John 5, 24 says, I will save you for forever. And then Luke 12, 32 says, I will give you a share of my kingdom. Wow. You'll be my God. You'll save me forever, and you'll give me part of your kingdom? Well, what's my side of the covenant? Well, that's today's lesson. In 2 Corinthians 3.6, it launches some of the most profound conclusions that drove our beloved Paul, and they are passed on to all of us. I have nine prominent features, and I have to tell you, or maybe warn you, it's no small task for me to get through nine things of anything. But I'm going to try. I'll watch my watch. There's 71 verses that I won't be able to read them all. Most begin with the preposition, therefore which, of course, is a summary conclusion. So let's just jump right in to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Let me start at verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's our title. The life that the Holy Spirit gives us. So number one, it's, it's right there. Servants of a new covenant? So we're servants? You know, that, that, is, that is an attitude of the heart, isn't it, to be a servant? Meaning that we are servants of the Lord and not the other way around? You know, I swear if you watch TV, it looks like it's the other way around. 
that he's like the Santa Claus in the sky that keeps, you know, giving us stuff. And yet here we are, servants of him, servants of his covenant. That's a whole different outlook on life. And that's the spirit of life deal, that we now serve him. How long is this going to be? For all eternity, if you read the last chapter. Remember John Kennedy, or some of you do, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but for what you can do for your country. You see, it's the same concept. The same principle, but escalated to infinity. So number one, it's critical to remember who is serving who in this covenant. It'll capture you. Number two, it's verse 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So what he's talking about is we adopt this willingness to change. So when the Spirit of God enters within us, he wants to transform us. In which way? Well, in every possible way there is. The Spirit of God is not within us to do nothing. He wants to transform us into what? Well, it's the likeness of Christ. We look in the mirror now, not my mirror, but, you know, he's making an illustration here. I look in the mirror and I get scared. It's like, you guys know what I mean? What happened? There's been some mistake here. But he's talking about the spiritual mirror and we see Christ. And then we then now build the glory road until it is infinitely glorious one day. Glory unto glory, he calls it. Ephesians 4.13 says it much more eloquently. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It means that the Spirit of God is within us to make us become more and more like Christ in the way that we think, in the way that we act, and in the words that we say. More like Christ. Be transformed into his likeness. Paul will tell the Corinthians, every thought captive. Now there's a challenge, huh? Every thought captive. We have work to do. Number three, here they come, the therefores. 4.1, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry is that? Well, it's up there in the previous, the ministry of righteousness. As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And what's he saying? 
the Spirit is within us, and we received mercy, therefore, we don't lose heart. Understandable? We don't lose heart. Why not? Why, why shouldn't we lose heart? I'll get to that. He goes on. Verse 2. By the manifestation of truth. We're supposed to make manifest the truth of God in our life because we've got the Spirit of God. To manifest means to make visible. Expose our life in the Spirit. It manifests God's truth. And God's truth is the reality about everything. So do you know the reality about everything? Well, we're pretty close, right? No, really, the only one that counts. Verse 6 calls it, God wants to show forth light from darkness. Well, who's the darkness? Well, that's us. He wants to shine forth light from us. It's the glory of Christ showing from you and me. That, that's, that's, that's our side of the deal, to show the light of Christ. You see? That's what we're doing. Verse 7 says that Christ in us is a breathless treasure. Are you with that? That this is a breathless treasure that God has done in this age? Glory on the glory. What a privilege. So we're culturing, we're adopting, and we're pursuing this life of Christ because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. That's the spirit of life. Verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Now wait. I'm okay with glory, but this dying of Jesus, meaning the affliction of Jesus, we are actually caring about the affliction of Jesus? You mean we're going to be afflicted like he was afflicted? Yeah. That's the story. This whole deal of growing in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, happens in the midst of affliction. Now, are you, you are aware of that. You know, we talk about that a lot. But that's the deal. That's our side of the covenant. That's the design. And if afflictions become the harbingers of glory. He wants us to be overcomers, but if there wasn't anything to overcome, then, like, what's the point? So God's got something to prove through us that because we carry about him, we get through these things, don't we? 
or at least we recover, don't we? I think that's the plan. That's our side. In verse 17, he calls it momentary light affliction. Are you kidding? They beat this guy all over the land. Paul's life looked like a nightmare. But in the end, he said, this is great. Because I fought the fight. Oh, there's a fight to be fought? I finished my course. Oh, there's a course to be run here. And I kept the faith. He didn't collapse. Now, you have to understand that Paul was in prison and Nero was about to cut his head off. And he says, basically, I've won! I call it progressive optimism. Are you with me on that progressive optimism? That everything that comes into your life, you can be optimistic about it? Your darkest hour can be your finest hour if you look at it a little bit different. Going through something today? Well, yeah. You can overcome it. That's our side of the deal. Momentary light affliction. And the way we do it is verse 18. While we look at, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So don't just keep looking at the problems of life. Look at the things that are not seen and how those problems got there and why those problems got there. They're all a test. Like someone said, they'll either kill you or make you strong. You see, it's a whole different way of looking at life. An eternal perspective of all of life's circumstances. It's Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for good. Yeah, but it hurts. Yeah, that's working together for good. For eternal good, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean good here and now. Well, that's number three. Number four, chapter five shouldn't be there. It's really the same discussion. That scribe just kind of thought it would be change it there. Verse six says, therefore... Being always of good courage. Really. Courageous. So we're courageous servants. The spirit of life makes us courageous. That's a great word. Courageous. Everybody admires courage, don't they? Courageous is the opposite of weak, wimpy, and fearful. Courageous 
is the opposite of weak, wimpy, and fearful. So the Spirit of God is within us to make us courageous. Because we now walk, verse 7, in settled faith. We know what's going on. Why are you worried? And why are you afraid? Everything's taken care of. You just aren't looking at it quite right. You got your eyes on this world. And you know what? This world, I've been in it a long time now. It's nothing but trouble. It's overrated. This is a hassle down here. But that's, that's the deal, see? That's our side of the covenant. What are you doing with that hassle? Hopefully, you're living by faith and not by sight, because if you live by sight, you are under the pile. And many people live under the pile. Now, that's not what you're doing, is it? Living under the pile of life? You have the Spirit of God within you. Verse 18 basically says, sorry, it's verse 8, I prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Really? I'd rather be dead? That's what he's saying. I'd rather be dead? I mean, aren't we all worried about life and death? And here's Paul, the hero of the New Testament, saying, I'd rather be dead. I know exactly what he's talking about. I don't think that's that much fun down here. Are you kidding? I've got glory to step into? We have a home in glory that the Lord is preparing just for us right now? You'll see that first step in glory. It'll be all worth it if you have fought the fight and run your course and kept the faith. It'll be worth it. A hundred years from today, well, maybe less than that, you know where we're going to be? It won't be in Minnesota. And I, I hope you're in glory and experiencing the glories of a faithful servant. You know, that's all there is to this. I don't, it doesn't matter what happens to you or me. That's the thunder and the fire when you meet the Lord. You want to have fought this fight well. Back when I was fighting, when I was young, it was the last round, and the coach would always say, leave it all in, leave it all in this round. It's the last one. That's my advice to you. Leave it all down here. Number five, oh. <clears throat> verse nine, 
Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether home or absent, whether alive or dead, to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, there's an ambition for life, to be pleasing to the Lord. Ambition means that that's our desire, our motive, our intention, our aspiration. Do you have any aspirations today? Be pleasing to the Lord. That's to really care about what the Lord thinks about us. Because he really thinks and cares about us. Remember what the deal was with Satan and about Job? God said, go look at this guy. Have a go at him. You know, you have a reputation with God. He knows you. And Satan is saying to him, let me have a go at him and see what happens. Ray Steadman said, like, we're a shiny apple, but wait till you take a bite out of it and see what's inside. So there's an ambition you can take with today. Please the Lord. Number six is verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The Spirit of God gives us a reverential fear of the Lord. Are you fearful of not being what you're supposed to be? That's what he's saying. Fearful, kind of like you were of your father, of doing something wrong and getting the wrath of dad, you know? At least that, that's the way it was in my house. Like, I don't want the Lord to be disappointed and angry with me. Do you? About what? Well, right in context, it's about persuading men. Like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to tell others about this deal? Like who? And how many? Well, let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you gave an account of the hope that is within you? Now, really. Now, not to people at church, to unbelievers. When's the last time you told a believer, a, an unbeliever, about the Lord? There's some of us who may have never have done that. And yet, here we are. That's what's going on. You've probably heard this before, but I love to tell this story. <clears throat> when Jesus arrived back in heaven, he was speaking to some of the angels about what he had done. He told them about his birth, his life, preaching, death, resurrection, and how he had accomplished the salvation of mankind. And the angel Gabriel asked, well, now that you're back in heaven, 
Will you continue your work on earth? And Jesus said, well, while I was on earth, I gathered a group of people around me who believed in me and loved me. They will continue to spread the gospel and carry the work. Gabriel was perplexed. You mean to tell us you left them to carry the torch? What's plan B? And Jesus' answer was, there is no plan B. That's the plan. Are you using your part of it? I'll get back to that one in the end. Number seven, in verse 16. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that preposition is a conclusion to life in the Spirit. From now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Now, what's all that about? Ah, well, do you remember who you were before Christ invaded your life? Well, that's what the Corinthians were throwing up to Paul's face. And I dare say that none of us were as bad as Paul. I mean, I granted, I threw away my youth, but it was nothing like this guy. He spent his former life throwing Christians in prison. And be, be thrown in that kind of prison was pretty much a death sentence. And he even was a part of the murder of at least one, Stephen. And now he's an apostle. So we don't hold anyone's previous life against us, right? Does this happen in Christianity that people actually hold people's previous life against them? I guarantee, folks, all the time. Number eight. Therefore, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's the first verse I memorized. And I still cling to it. It's a great verse. For those whose early life were eaten up by the locusts, you know what I mean? An ill-spent youth of worthlessness. The first thing he says is, Anyone, any man, ladies, you're there. Anyone. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Whether you were raised in a Christian home or on the street. Whether your past bears great shame or great success. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ and put your life in his hands, you would immediately be placed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't say in church. He doesn't say in Bible study. He doesn't say in prayer. 
Because you can be all of those things but not be in Christ. To be in Christ means that you have a saving relationship with him. You have now seen who he is. And you want to be in vital spiritual union with him. He is now the driving force of your thoughts and your behavior. Is that true? We were once dead to him, but now we are alive to him. At that moment, our old life of sin and lostness was buried. It went away, never to rise its ugly head again in the eyes of God. That's why we say amen. The Holy Spirit placed us in Christ, and that's forever. You can't back out because he won't. He gives us his righteousness. His wisdom is poured into us. His joy, his peace, his glory, they all came to our side. We became a new creature, he says, with a new disposition of soul, dead to the old ways. And a new being invades our body and our mind. We are washed clean in the eyes of God. Our heart is replaced with a new one, a new love, a new desire, a new joy, new life, new life in the Spirit of God. It's given to us. Number nine. Wow. Verse 18. Now these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Here it is. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are given the ministry of reconciliation? Is that what he was talking about with Gabriel? It's ours? Like yours and mine? Verse 20 says, We are, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now there's a concept for self. Are you an ambassador for Christ? I mean, that's what it says. We have a new life, and in that new life, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, ambassadors aren't like those people in Washington that, you know, go to Italy. Oh, that's not quite the same. We are representatives of deity, and the, and the land that we've been given is this one. An ambassador. He wants us to be his ambassadors wherever he takes us in life. You say, well, I don't like where he's taking me. Well, it doesn't matter. Just be an ambassador there. Do I have to? No, you really don't. But if you wanna, if if you wanna do what you're supposed to do, there was an old philosopher writer by the name of Samuel Clemens. Anybody know who that is? 
Ah, see, Mark Twain. He wrote the two most important days of a person's life. Number one, when they were born. And then number two, when you discover why. So why are you here? Why have you been rescued out of the darkness? Why have you been given a new life? Well, he wants you to be an ambassador for him. As long as he gives you life. And he only gives you so many days last week. It's a vital component of the spirit of life. The New Testament and the Old Testament are missionary documents. The glory of Christ is now being spread through people like you and I, empowered by his spirit. That's what's going on down here. So there we have it. Then I'll quit. The Holy Spirit is with us to create a servant attitude, a willingness to change, strength to be courageous in face of affliction, strength to walk by faith, to pursue that ambition that's now ours to please the Lord, with reverential fear, Forget the past, forget the old life, and nothing back there, and embrace the new life and the new mission. And the new mission, be an ambassador. You'll see. That's what it was all about. Let's pray. Lord, again, I pray that you would teach us to number our days that we might present to you people who acknowledge you as God. Lord, give us a new vision today to reach our world with your gospel. Show us how we can be ambassadors for you, disciplers of men and women, that we might glorify you, that we might accomplish what you called us for, that you put your spirit within us, that you left us down here to live this life. Recommit us to those great things. In your name, Christ Jesus. Amen.